So our, our, our text this morning is uh, Luke chapter 22, uh, verses uh, 19, 19 through 27. Uh, the first part of it is, is Luke's uh, description of the uh, Last Supper. And then the second part of it is the uh, dispute among the disciples. So Luke chapter 22, verses 19 through 27. And he, Jesus, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. Verse 24, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Praise God for his word. So many, many people look to the new year, which is coming up very quickly in two months, as a, as a time of new beginnings or, or rededicating old commitments or, or making new commitments. And, and we make resolutions where we resolve to eat healthier, you know, exercise more, uh, stop this or that, begin this or that, you know the routine. And, and we might look at the new year as a time to implement a mid-course correction. Uh, anyone who navigates a boat or an airplane uh, or a spacecraft, anybody know how to navigate a spacecraft in here? Yeah, I didn't think so. The, but they know what a mid-course correction is. You, you have to make constant corrections to account for weather conditions. Uh, the wind speeds and the wind direction or the water or air currents and, and cross currents and even the speed of the vessel constantly have to make mid-course corrections. Now speaking of space, imagine that it was possible to make a direct shot at the moon without orbiting the earth. Imagine also there was no way to make mid-course Corrections. So if in launching your calculations were off by just one degree, if your calculations were off by one degree and you weren't allowed to make mid-course corrections, your space vehicle would miss the moon by almost one and a half million miles. So we can see how important a mid-course correction would be for you know, all sorts of uh, travel. 
And I know my son's doing the math in his head right now. And he's going to question me about it later. So for the Christian, oftentimes we need to make an assessment of our spiritual lives and in the process make mid-course corrections. And also for the Christian, there's no need to wait for the new year, uh, for new beginnings or for course corrections. So if we're drifting off course in our spiritual lives, the Lord's Supper can be an opportunity for us to make a mid-course correction and get back on track with the Lord. Now, I don't want to presume anything about you, but I'd like to offer a few suggestions to you if you've found yourself drifting off course in your spiritual life. So one opportunity to get back on track might be making a fresh dedication to follow the will of God. We talked about God's will last week. Uh, James was uh, criticizing those who didn't care about God's will. They didn't even recognize God's sovereignty and thought that they were in control of, of every minute of every day. And James says this kind of attitude is arrogant and evil. And, and we should acknowledge James says we should acknowledge our dependence on God's sovereign plan. He says, if the Lord, he said, we, we should be thinking, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But on the other hand, uh, I didn't mention this last week, God has given us free will. But sometimes, in, in a sincere desire to please God, we, we can sometimes walk in fear. That, that we'll make the wrong choice about every little detail of our lives. And, and we can go crazy, you know, trying to figure out, you know, where does God want us to get coffee this morning? You know, how much, how much does God want us to spend on groceries? Uh, or, or, you know, whether, whether we'd be happy, whether God would be happy if we went to Disney on vacation or not. And I'm not saying we shouldn't seek the Lord in those things, but... Every choice becomes this you know, agonizing decision. You know, either discover what God wants in some way or, or make a choice that, you know, who knows, could ruin everything. Uh, I, I bring this up because for some, obsessing over uh, uh, these little details even uh, can lead them to make uh, decisions in unbiblical ways, you know, basing their, cho- their choices on, on these apparent signs or or coincidences. Now, while both of these extremes might not be an issue for the typical Christian, one thing is guaranteed to set you off course in life, and that's sin. Perhaps some little sin has crept into your life and it is causing you to drift off course from God's will. Or that sin is preventing you from hearing or discerning God's will for your life. So you might only be a fraction of a degree uh, from dead center, but the farther you go with this uh, miscalculation, the greater risk of missing your destination, which is God's will for your life. In other words, if you're trying to seek God's will in something, maybe unconfessed sin is keeping you from hearing what God's will is for you. 
So fortunately, as 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, some people think that because of sin in their lives, they shouldn't participate in the Lord's table. So while I'll leave that between you and God, you might want to consider that the Lord's table is the perfect time to confess that sin and make a course correction and a fresh, fresh dedication uh, to follow the will of God. As we see in our, our passage, Jesus was always uh, in, in the center of God's will. And, and he used the, the occasion of the Lord's Supper to reaffirm his dedication to God's will. As Jesus says in verse 22 of our passage, it says, For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. As it has been determined. In other words, uh, it has been determined by God, Jesus' Father, that Jesus will go to the cross, and Jesus will do just that. Another thing is, is just as the Lord's table can be a, a time for a new dedication to God's will, it can also be a time for meditation on Christ's death. First uh, Corinthians 11.26 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So one of the main purposes for observing the Lord's, Lord's table is to meditate on the Lord's death. The statement you proclaim also involves a personal application of the meaning of the Lord's death in your testimony and my testimony as a believer. In other words, meditating on the Lord's death means meditating on the gospel and, and, and the gospel's implications for our own lives as well as, as the lives of others. Uh, Jesus said in our Luke passage, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after the cup, they had eaten saying, this cup is poured out for you. It is the new covenant in my blood. So Jesus' body was given for us. His blood was poured out for us. This is Jesus substituting himself for us taking the punishment that we deserve, absorbing God's wrath in our place. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Romans 4.25, He, Jesus, was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. So that's the gospel. That's the good news. God created us to be with him in complete fellowship with him, but sin entered the world through the disobedience of Adam and Eve. Our sin now separates us from God because God is holy and just. We must be punished for our rebellion against him. And our doing good isn't enough it isn't enough to get rid of our sin. There's nothing, there's absolutely nothing that we can do to make ourselves right with God. So that's the bad news. The good news is that Jesus did everything 
Jesus did everything necessary to get rid of our sin and bring us back into fellowship with God. He suffered the wrath of God on the cross. Our sin was placed on him, and it was his blood is what ultimately satisfied the wrath of God. And on top of that, Jesus was raised to life again. He triumphed over sin, over death, over the devil, and he made it possible for us to have an abundant life. So the good news is that anyone, anyone who puts their trust in Jesus will be saved. Reconciliation with God cannot be earned by being a good person or doing good things, but only through faith in Christ's finished work on the cross. So that's the gospel we proclaim to others and that we heard it at one time. Now you might be saying, well, I get that, but I've already trusted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. God has already saved me, so how do I proclaim the gospel to myself? How does the gospel help me to make a course correction in my life? Well, for one, we've been given a new life. We're no longer slaves to sin. The gospel is good news to the believer because it gives us the freedom not to sin. In fact, the same power that defeated sin, death, and the devil and raised Jesus from the dead is now at work in us through the Holy Spirit. Check this out. Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 1. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So don't miss that the incomparably great power of the Holy Spirit which raised Christ from the dead is available to the believer to live a victorious life in Christ. I I can't even wrap my brain around that. The incomparably great power of the Holy Spirit is available to the believer. Secondly, if we've been given a new life, if we've been raised with Christ, as Scripture says, we can do what we were made to do. We're able to do those things that honor our Creator or to say the same thing differently, that that brings us joy. It's even better news than this, though. If we've been given new life, we will do what we were made to do. We'll never be perfect in this life, but we will do those good works that God planned for us in advance. Again, back to Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. 
So God has prepared in advance for us good works to do. So therefore, meditating on the gospel or the gospel power in our lives helps us to not go on sinning in, in, in the same patterns and with the same uh, frequency as, as 1 John 3, 9 says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Also, we will love God, we'll love others, and we'll have the, the power to overcome the world, as Scripture says. Again, First uh, John 5, 2-5, uh, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And also, we can trust that God will reveal to us. He'll reveal to us the good works which he prepared in advance for us. And all this is possible because God, because God lives in us through the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing and continually encouraging our, or empowering our new life. And then, just as the Lord's table can be used as a time of rededication and a time for meditation on the Lord's death, it's also a time for humility. Uh, humility is incredibly lacking in our culture today. But humility should be one of the, the chief characteristics of the Christian. I mean, we'll, we'll never admit our need to begin again. We'll, we'll never be able to see our need for a course correction if we're filled with pride. Only the humble say, I'm wrong. I've sinned. Forgive me, Lord, and let me begin again. Only the humble turn to God like that. My favorite prayer in the Bible is, is Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. That's, um, that's the father of, of the demon-possessed boy. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. It's just... Uh, such a display of humility from that, that man. And it's interesting that right after the Lord's Supper, which began with Jesus wa washing the feet of his disciples, right after the supper, the disciples start bickering like little children over which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Which one of them was Luke twenty two twenty four. But then Jesus reminded them that the world is characterized by that kind of pride and has no place among disciples of Jesus. Jesus said, but among you it will be different. Among you it will be different. Those, those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? 
the one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. Not here. For I am among you as one who serves. So Jesus' point is that followers of Christ should seek to emulate the humility of Jesus through the giving of themselves. Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 